Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing here. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. There is a passage in the book of Ephesians chapter 3 that, in my opinion, is one of the most powerful in all of the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, the Bible says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. There is a theme throughout the Bible that reveals to us that our God has all the victory and all the power. And I think there is a longing in all of God's people to walk moment by moment in that victory and power. But what I find in my life, what I find as I hear stories in our church throughout our city, throughout the country, and really all over the world, is this desire in God's people to walk in the victory and power of Christ. Yet, our reality is living daily, overwhelmed by the giant situations that take place in our lives. This morning, I want to spend some time talking about how do you find victory in the midst of an overwhelming situation? And so I want to begin by asking you this question, and I want to challenge you to really wrestle with this question and determine your answer. So much so that when you identify your answer, let me encourage you to maybe write it down on your notes, type it in your phone, or just keep it at the front of your mind. Because I want the the scripture to really breathe some clarity today for us regarding how we find victory in the midst of an overwhelming situation. So here's my question for you. What is in front of you today that has you overwhelmed? What's taking place in your life today that has you, as a follower of Jesus, overwhelmed? 
Is there a situation in your life that is causing you to feel discouraged and afraid? That has you paralyzed and unable to function normally? Is there a situation in your life that is intimidating you? That has caused you to feel exhausted, defenseless, and defeated? Is there something going on in your life right now that is producing a lot of noise on a regular basis? Tony Evans describes these giant situations as a problem or person in your life that looms so large that it intimidates you and causes you to live in fear. Is there a situation in your life right now that regardless of what you do, that situation appears unbeatable? It could be a situation at work, at school, at home. could be a tragedy in your life, something you're facing internally or externally. It may be a financial problem, a relationship issue, a health concern. It could be stress, confusion, fear, pain, failure. What is in front of you today that is causing you to feel overwhelmed? As a church family, we are in a series right now called Blast from the Past. And we are pulling some lessons out of the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And today's lesson is intended to speak right to the heart of whatever it is that has you overwhelmed. Here's today's lesson. The one who is with me is greater than whatever is in front of me. The one who is with me is greater than whatever is in front of me. If you have a copy of the scriptures today, would you look with me in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17. Our text today is one of the most well-known stories in all of scripture. It's a story that for a lot of people, you may have heard it as a child or you've shared it with your children. But I want you to know today that what we're about to read is not just a story. It is a literal, historical event. It's the story of David and Goliath. And what I want to do to really navigate through the 58 verses in this chapter is I want to read a little and talk a little to really give us a clear biblical overview of what took place here in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And so to begin, I want you to look at the first eight words of 1 Samuel chapter 17. The Bible says this, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. We're about to read about a battle that took place between the nation of Israel, God's people, and the Philistines. Well, who were the Philistines? Well, in this story, they're the bad guys. That's the short version. But they are a group of people 
that had been fighting with the nation of Israel on a regular basis. If you're tracking with our reading plan, you have seen this group of people pop up numerous times. Well, the nation of Israel is about to engage in yet another battle with the Philistine army. And the Bible says that the battle takes place in a location called the Valley of Elah. Now, if you're anything like me, you're a visual learner. And so I want to show you a picture of this valley in modern day so you can kind of get your head around what we're talking about as it relates to this battle scene. This is the Valley of Elah, modern day. And so what you can see is on the right side of the screen is where the Philistines were camped. And on the other side, on that mountain, is where the Israelites were camped. And right between there is a ravine called the Valley of Elah. So that's the literal location where this battle took place so many years ago. And what we're going to see here is the Philistines and the Israelites decide to engage in what was called a representative battle. And here's what that means. That means that each army would choose one person to go out into the valley and fight. And the warrior that won, that victory was credited to his army. And in the same way, the warrior that lost, that defeat was credited to his army. So let's pick up reading in verse 3. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side. With the valley between them. Verse 4. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath. So Goliath is the representative who walks out on behalf of the Philistines. And then the scripture here begins to tell us about this champion named Goliath. The first thing we see about Goliath in verse 4 is he, had an, he was overwhelming in size. Let's keep reading in verse 4. Whose height was six cubits and a span. Well, what does that mean? A cubit was about 18 inches, and a span was about six inches. So when we say that Goliath was overwhelming in height, here's what we mean. Goliath stood nine foot six inches, meaning... If he's walking under a basketball goal, he barely misses the rim with his head. So Goliath was overwhelming in size. But the scripture goes on to tell us about Goliath. It says he was overwhelming in appearance. Look at verse 5. The Bible says he had a bronze helmet on his head. And he was clothed with scale armor which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of the spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier was also before him. So here's what the scripture's saying. Not only was he a giant from a height standpoint, but he also had on a breastplate, a helmet, armor on his shoulders and legs, he was carrying a spear, a sword, a javelin, and he had someone walking in front of him with a shield. In total, scholars tell us that Goliath's armor weighed 175 pounds. 
The next thing we see about Goliath is that he was extremely arrogant. Look at verse 8. The Bible says, He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. You can imagine him there in the valley shouting towards the mountain where Israel was camped. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And here's what we know from the totality of this passage. Goliath did that first thing in the morning and the last thing at night. For 40 consecutive days. So this denouncing of of Israel and their God. Was the first thing the Israelites heard in the morning. And it was the last thing they heard at night. And it had happened for 40 straight days. Well what's Israel thinking? As this is happening with Goliath. What are they doing? Well look at verse 11. The Bible says when Saul... And all Israel heard these words of the Philistine. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, I asked myself the question this week. As I'm reading through this very detailed description of Goliath, why is that included in this biblical account? And here's one reason I think it's in there. Because they had swords and helmets and shields And the Israelites had nothing. The Philistines were superior in every way to the nation of Israel when it comes to this battle. And then we move on and and we are introduced to David. Now, at this point in David's journey, he was simply a shepherd. He had already been anointed as king of Israel, but Saul was really still functioning in that place. David had three older brothers who were a part of this Israelite army. And so David's father, Jesse, gave him an assignment. He said, David, I want you to travel 12 miles down the road to this valley. And I want you to take some food. And then I want you to find out what's going on and bring a report back to me. So fast forward to verse 20. And we're going to catch up with David as he heads toward the valley of Elah. Verse 20. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with a keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he said to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array shouting the war cry, Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Verse 22. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. And he was talking with them. And as he was talking with them, the champion, the Philistine from Gath, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines. And he spoke these same words, and David heard them. That's very significant. Verse 24. 
When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Verse 26. Then David spoke. These are the first words of David recorded in the scripture. To the man who were standing with him saying. Here's his first question. What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Here's the second question. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? What we see in David is a much, much different heart and mindset as it relates to this army that is seeking to defeat Israel. And what happens is in Israel's camp, word begins to spread about some of these things that David is saying. He is a radical thinker in this group because everyone else feels defeated. Well, word got to Saul of some of these questions that David was asking. So let's pick up in verse 31 and read the conversation between David and Saul. And then let's continue reading to see what happens in this battle. Verse 31. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Meaning, we should not be afraid of this guy. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. David said, if nobody else will go, I'll go fight him. Verse 33. Then Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. Meaning, David, this guy has been killing people longer than you've even been alive. Verse 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his, his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. You see such a different attitude and perspective in David. Verse 37. And David said... The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Here's the translation. David, enjoy dying. <laughs> Verse 38. This is interesting. Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with armor. David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, but he had not tested them, meaning he had never used anything like that before. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. He took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch. 
and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Verse 41. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and a ruddy and ruddy with a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Verse 44. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the fields. Then David said to the Philistine. This is so powerful. Verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, Come to me. You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted this day. The Lord will deliver you up unto my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give, you the, give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That's what you call spiritual trash talking. <laughs> Verse 47. And that all the assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Verse 48. Then it happened, when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it. And struck the Philistine on his forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath, and killed him and cut off his head with it. With the when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. One more verse, verse 54. Then David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his weapons in his tent. I love that in verse 54, David took two things that would serve as a testimony to say, regardless of my ability, God's ability is greater. So as you, as you read this story, it's obviously a, a famous story. It's a great story. What's really the theme? I mean, is the theme today, the bigger they are, the harder they fall? Is the theme intended to be read to athletic teams who have no chance of winning a game, but they need to be pumped up by someone giving a devotional? I believe in this text, there are some incredible lessons as it relates to perspective. So what I want to do in our time remaining is I want to share with you three realities about David's perspective in this story that allowed him to experience victory in the midst of an overwhelming situation. Here's the first thing I want us to talk about. David's perspective was based on who God is. 
as you read throughout these verses, you see very, very clearly that David was operating from a different perspective than everyone else. And I believe one aspect of that perspective was that it was based on who God is. As we follow Jesus, there are things that are true spiritually that we cannot necessarily put our hands on physically. Here's the way that 2 Corinthians says that. For we walk by faith, not by sight. I love what Warren Wiersbe said about that. He said, when we walk by sight, we calculate everything from a human perspective. And this always leads to discouragement. But when we walk by faith, God comes into the equation and that changes the results. David made made two incredible references to God in these verses. One of the things he says in verse 26 is he talks about the armies of the living God. He's giving reference in that statement to the fact that God is eternal. He has always been and he always will be. In essence, David is saying, God has led his people through situations like this before and he will do it again. I think quite often when we walk through overwhelming overwhelming circumstances, there's a sense of loneliness. There's a sense of, oh my gosh, I've got to figure this out. But in the midst of an overwhelming situation that David was in, one of the things that he remembered was God is the living God. He's eternal. He's never ceased to be. He's seen his people through situations like this before, and he will do it again. So in the midst of being overwhelmed, I can trust him. Another reference that David makes in these verses to who God is, is he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. He first references that God is eternal. Then he references here that God is all-powerful. He has all authority. In essence, David is saying, the one who is with me created the one who's in front of me. And that brought an incredible sense of, of comfort to David. Charles Swindoll said this, Intimidation. That's our major battle when we face giants. When they intimidate us, we get tongue-tied. Our thoughts get confused. We forget how to pray. We focused on the odds against us. We forget whom we represent. And we stand there with our knees knocking. I wonder what God must think when all the while he has promised us, my power is available. There's no one on this earth greater. You trust me. The nation of Israel saw a problem that was overwhelming. And when they saw the problem, they began to be consumed by its size, by its history, by its, its loudness, by what it was, by its reputation. But David knew, as the people of God, that the Lord was a part of the equation. And all the while, while the nation of Israel was thinking, this is a battle I must fight, 
David shows up and recognizes the battle is not ours. The battle is the Lord's. David had a spiritual perspective on an overwhelming situation. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you developed a spiritual perspective on your situation? Or are you intimidated by size, reputation, and history? Because here's what we can conclude about the perspective of Israel and the perspective of David. Israel's perspective was Goliath's presence is more significant than God's presence. But David's perspective was that God's presence was more significant than Goliath's presence. Here's here's an honest question that I ask myself this week, and I want to challenge you to wrestle with this morning. Is the presence of your problem greater than the presence of your God? Because when we start thinking that way and we start seeing our situations through a spiritual perspective, it changes the way we view it. The presence of your problem is not greater than the presence of your God. Because the one who is with you is greater than whatever is in front of you. One of the things about David's perspective that we need to pull out of this is that his perspective was based on who God is. Here's a second reality about David's life. David's perspective was based on what God had done. I look at this story and I see how David shows up with incredible confidence. No one had to talk him into it. He rolled on the scene with an incredible confidence in God. You see, David's confidence in this battle was rooted in what he had seen God do in the past. David had walked with God long enough to know he could be trusted regardless of the size of the problem. You could say it this way. Our victories in the past provide confidence for us To face what is in front of us today. You see, the longer you walk in an intimate love relationship with God, moment by moment, day by day, the less you are shaken when things don't necessarily go according to plan. Here's the point. The longer you walk with God, the easier it is to face whatever is in front of you. And here's why I know that's true. Because our nearness to God allows us to see the smallness of our problem. But in the same way, the further you are from God, the bigger your problem appears. And so I ask myself the question, where was it in David's life that he developed this incredible confidence That he could walk into a situation that was extremely intimidating for the entire Israelite army and have such confidence in his God. Well, in verses 33 through 37, the Bible tells us he references his time in the pasture as a shepherd. You see, God's plan all along was for David to be the king. 
But David needed to prepare for that responsibility. And before David could lead as king on the throne, he first had to serve as a shepherd in the pasture. The pasture was the laboratory where God shaped the heart of a king. I want to read something from um, a devotional that was written by Charles Swindoll called Great Days with Great Lives. And what he outlines in this little section I want to read for you are the disciplines that God used to shape David's life and by shaping his life, establish his confidence in God. And I wrestled this week, but I don't know of a better way to say what I'm about to read, so I'm just going to read it for us today. Let's put that description up. These are four disciplines that Charles Swindoll outlines that were built into David while he was in the pasture. Solitude. He had to learn life's major lessons alone before he could be trusted with the responsibilities and rewards before the public. Obscurity. He learned to be a servant leader by first being unknown, unseen, unappreciated, and unapplauded. Monotony. He was faithful in the menial, insignificant, routine, unexciting, uneventful daily tasks of life. Reality. He had to learn to remain responsible when nobody was looking. What built David's confidence was not the Goliath moments. David's confidence in trusting God and being shaped as a man of God took place in a pasture. God uses the pasture to prepare his people. Don't despise your pasture. Thank God for it. So let's, let's make that practical. Maybe you're a teacher. And what you do every day is you love kids, you teach kids, you care for kids. You do that every day. And there are some days you just want to pull your hair out and walk out and say, I'm done. God can use that in your life to build your confidence in knowing who he is and that he can be trusted. That may be your season in the pasture. Maybe you're a mom here today or a stay-at-home dad and what you do all day is you just care and serve your family and you think to yourself sometimes, nobody even cares about this. Listen, God sees what you're doing and he can use those things to shape you and mold you. He used the pasture to shape the heart of a king. Maybe you're a student here. And you're just working every day to try and do the very best you can through your education to prepare you for whatever's coming next. God can use those things in your life like he did in the life of David. So if you're here today and you feel like a big block of your calendar 
is dominated by solitude, obscurity, monotony, and reality. I want to encourage you, don't despise your pasture. God uses the pasture to prepare his people. The third reality that I want to pull out of this story from David's life is this. David's perspective was based on what God said he would do. The perspective of David was shaped around a promise. You'll notice throughout this story, there is so much detail about the size, the reputation, the history and background of the Philistines and Goliath. But when David shows up, you know what he notices first? He refers to Goliath as an uncircumcised Philistine. I don't want to go into all the details of that, but in essence, circumcision was a sign that you belong to God in the covenant relationship. It meant that you belong to God's people. David stops the conversation when he shows up, and here's what he says. He says, wait a minute. You guys are so terrified about what's in front of you. But I want you to know something. This army is not in the covenant. Meaning they do not have the divine power of God with them. God is with us. He's not with them. Because he knew what was within that covenant promise was victory. David's perspective was shaped based off of the covenant promise God had given his people. Yet, in the midst of this overwhelming situation, you see both from the Philistines and from Saul this idea that victory was going to be produced by man. The Philistines sent out their warrior. They felt like this is our way to victory. In his armor with his weaponry, with his shield carrier. Even Saul, when he was sending David into the battle, he cloaked him in armor that just didn't fit David, assuming that the victory was dependent on man. David shows up and he says, Let it be known that this giant was not killed by swords or by weapons, but in the name of the Lord, victory has been given to me. Where are you looking for victory in the midst of your overwhelming situation? Are you looking at this situation as something that only man can bring victory to? Or do you understand this incredible promise that God has given his people that with him is victory? Charles Trumbull said this, I've gotten to a place where I've lost interest in how God does things. That's his business, not mine. But I do know that he's faithful. God does what he promises. Therefore, when he says that he gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ, I know he indeed gives us victory. Not because of any victory experiences God has given me, as blessed as some of them have been. No, I know it because God says so. He's the eternal truth. 
And because his word is true, it means God is responsible for my victory. I hope that today from this this story of David and Goliath, that maybe in the midst of your overwhelming situation, you recognize that the one who is with you is greater than whatever is in front of you. And you would take your attention off of what you can do in a situation and direct your attention to what God desires to do through your situation. One other thing about this story that is just so powerful is it is another Old Testament example of the gospel. It's a picture to us of God saving his people and accomplishing what people thought was impossible. You see, we were hopeless and helpless against the power of sin, but God sent his son to do the impossible, and he won the victory. And because Jesus has already won the ultimate battle, I can experience victory in the small battles that I face every day. Because the gospel tells us, In the most unlikely way possible, God defeated death, hell, and the grave. I'll leave you with this verse this morning. 1 John 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The one who is with us is greater than anything that is in front of us. Amen? Amen. Let me invite you to... uh, Let me invite you to bow your head this morning.